Welcome to the Global Marketing Show, the podcast for all things international business. I'm your host, Wendy Pease, president of Rapport International and a translation expert. Come along with me today as we talk to an expert in the global marketing world about facing their biggest fears, hearing about mistakes they made or saw, discussing best practices, and sharing fun travel language and culture story. Hello, listeners. Thanks for joining us on today's episode of the Global Marketing Show. Today's guest was born ready, and she's got a really exciting business, so I really am looking forward to talking to Alexandra. She is um, the She's got an amazing background, and I have a feeling that she just has a ton of energy. So Alexandra Efimova is the CEO of Russian Point, which she founded 23 years ago, and they supply high-end point shoes and ballet equipment around the world. Recently, she acquired FLX stretch training and so we'll hear more about that and she's also a podcast host of five six seven eight and eight is spelled out so uh, i'm looking forward to hearing about that so alexandra welcome wendy thank you so much for inviting me and for such a warm introduction Oh, I'm so, so thrilled to have you here. I've really been looking forward to talking to you more. So you were born ready. <laughs> yes. That's actually what one of my classmates always would say at Harvard Business School when we would get ready for study group. I'm like, are you ready? He's like, I was born ready, but today is not my day. But I say that I'm ready and today is my day. <laughs> and today is your day. Wonderful. <laughs> so you were born in Russia, right? I was born in St. Petersburg, Russia, and I moved to America in 1993, and I call America my home now for almost 28 years. Uh -huh. I moved originally to Narva, Michigan. My stepfather is American. He was a U.S. Naval officer and then went to Georgetown and University of Michigan MBA, so he settled in Ann Arbor, and my mother came to teach art in Ann Arbor, Michigan for a few months, and uh, they fell in love, and we moved to America, and um, we've been here ever since. Oh my gosh, that's fantastic. And so are you a, a ballerina? So I danced as a child. And then when I came to America, I danced for University of Michigan ballroom dance team. And I studied business. So my first business that I founded literally in my college apartment um, at age 20 was this combination of my love, my passion, my hobby for the dance and arts and my business education. And um, I did it because it's, um, I had all the options in the world, what to do to figure out how to pay my way through school. And I thought, well, instead of starting a business in a field that I know very little about, I'll start in a field that I know and I love, which is dance, arts, Russia, international trade, and small businesses and, and schools. And uh, only later I realized when people would ask me, like, why do you like your business so much? Or how did you find your passion? How did you find what you really inspired to do? I didn't realize that there's any other way to do it. And then I started tracking back and I realizing because it's my first business and all of my businesses now align with my personal passions, vision, values, interests, and what I hope to contribute to the world. Oh, that's fantastic. I love that story because it really is the story of pick something out you're passionate about and then 
build your work around that so you enjoy what you do every day. So you brought in Russia and the U.S. and international trade. And I think we had talked earlier about the American dream. And people who grow up in the United States don't really know what that is. So can you compare what it would have been like to start this business over in Russia and why you say you're living the American dream? So I grew up in Soviet Union, and as we remember from the history lessons in a socialistic society in Soviet Union, everything was owned by the government. So I did not grow up around some family members or some neighbors and friends who own businesses. So being an entrepreneur is not in my DNA um, because everybody worked for the government, right? All my, my friends, my family, that's how it was. Soviet Union fell apart in 1991 and officially became Russia. And we left in 93. So for that short period of less than two years, I slowly started to observe in, uh, entrepreneurship in its infancy, infancy as it was in Russia. So, and at that time I was, you know, 13, 14 years old. So I, again, I knew very little about it. So Starting the business in Russia back then in the early 90s is very different than starting a business in Russia right now in 2021. Russia is very diverse now, very entrepreneurs driven. There's many programs that government uh, provides to support small business owners, young entrepreneurs, women entrepreneurs. So I didn't know what it's like to be an entrepreneur in Russia. I came to America and from across the ocean, really looking at America and thinking about what American dream is, is being entrepreneur. That's the way I envisioned it. So when I came here and I dived into this and um, I started learning um, what entrepreneurship is. Uh, we had our first entrepreneurship class in the mid nineties at the university and it's called Entrepreneurship 101. So again, today there's so many entrepreneurship classes in most universities. There's even minors in entrepreneurship, majors in entrepreneurship, and even master program. Back in the mid-90s, there was a handful of universities that just offered one class, and I ended up to take it. So that's what really created that curiosity for me. And then we started a club at the university for future business owners, and I became a president of the club, and that's how it all started for me. That's so fascinating. So it was those couple years in Russia where you noticed it and then thinking if I go to the United States, I can start a business because that's what the American dream is. And at the same time, I was fascinated uh, to work for a big American corporation, you know, looking at the commercials for the Marriott Hotel as a business person flies across and rents a car at the Hertz and checks into the hotel and goes to important meeting. I mean, in the eyes of a 15-year-old, that's how it was for me. Um, so I really thought I'll work for a big American corporation as all of my other friends were planning on doing, and they actually did. And I ended up starting the business out of the dorm room, and they were help me pack boxes uh, with shoes and deliver them to local dance schools and stores. <laughs> and then I just kept on doing it after I graduated. So it's going to be 23 years in May of this year. 
Okay, so I, that, there are so many different ways that I want to go. First is I'm just trying to wrap my head around what the American dream means, because I know what it means internally, because I've lived it and used the word. But to have you equate it with entrepreneurship, I've never thought of it in that way. But we do have so many immigrants that come into the United States and start businesses because they can. So that is something I'm definitely going to have to take and ponder that you've given me another view to. But I want to get to the dorm room and packing ballet slippers. <laughs> How did you find the ballet, ballet slippers to sell? So I had contacts in Russia. And um, as we know, Russian ballet is very famous. Um, it's a legendary around the world. And as I was also thinking, what areas would I want to start a business in? And I thought, well, what is Russia famous for? And you know, back in the mid-90s, what did we associate Russia with? You know? Men in space, vodka, gas and oil, and ballet, right? Russia didn't really manufacture a lot of consumer goods. And still, when we look back at this now, more than two decades, Russia exports qu quite few consumer goods on a global market, hmm. right? A lot of natural resources, a lot of um, you know, equipment, but when it comes to the consumer goods, it's really not that much. And um, I now became a frequent speaker for many Russian entrepreneurial and business organizations on how do you find the product, how do you adapt it for a foreign market, American market more specifically, because adapting a product is more than just translating the packaging and label on English, right? You need to modify the product sometimes. Different measurements and units here in America in inches and ounces instead of liters and centimeters. Um, how do you reposition your marketing? How do you um, have the marketing message that connects with the local audience? Um, so yes, yeah, so that's what um, I went back through all the things that I could potentially import from Russia. And I thought, well, dance uh, lines very well. So I made connections with the manufacturers. And then they, uh, I was staring at the backs of point shoes that were made in Russia. And I was um, planning really to do this for the next couple of years. So I thought, um, I'll call it Russian point. That's the best idea that came to my mind because there was no big branding experience in my life. I didn't have a focus group. I didn't have a marketing department. I was like, I'm looking at the point she's made in Russia. I will call it Russian point. And which, was, which was absolutely perfect because it captured the whole, what does Russia do well? We do dance well. And these are the point shoes. They're from Russia. That's well. I mean, so you couldn't yeah. have done better, come up with a better name. Yeah. So that worked out well. So you had contacts there of manufacturers of the dance shoes and you said, I want to sell them in the US. Yes. And, you know, at age 20, I had very little capital. I had no contacts. I had no experience. Um, but I also had nothing to lose. So I thought, I'm just doing this. And then um, if it doesn't work out, I'll do something else. And I think that's another kind of message that I want to share with the audience is that we usually have regrets for not trying, but mm. I don't have regrets for anything I tried and didn't work out. I have started businesses that didn't work. I started brands didn't work. I went on a trips that maybe were not as exciting as I thought they were, but I never, I have regrets for the trips I didn't go to. I have regrets for, uh, you know, maybe experiences that I didn't sign up for. So it's never too late to start. We have people over 60 years old now starting businesses and starting life from scratch again. And 
people live longer and now we have more experience for the years. We have more assets, we have more connections. So go for it, whatever your calling is. I love that. I absolutely love how you say you don't have regrets for trying anything. Even if it didn't work, at least you tried um, and you've got the knowledge, but you don't have the regret. And that is so wonderful. Okay, so you're 20. What year was this? Uh, May of 98. So the, uh, the internet was kind of just getting going. There was no website. There was no selling there. So you've got Russian point shoes and you decide you're going to sell them in the U.S. How did you start? Well, very uh, well you uh, commented. There was no internet. There was only chat rooms in the university with this like green blinking lights, if anybody remembers that, right? <laughs> <laughs> and I started with the grassroots. And now looking back, I think this was one of the greatest things that I could have done because I didn't overcomplicate things with a big strategy meetings. Um, I just started doing what logically made sense. I took yellow pages and I opened the letter D for dancing supplies. And I started calling the store after store. And you know, at that point, I spoke English only four years. So my whole sales speech without any experience in sales sounded something like this. My name is Alexandra. I have shoes from Russia. Russian ballet is good and you must buy my shoes. <laughs> and so they didn't hang up a phone on me. That was already a very successful call. And some of them said, we're not interested, bye. And some of them said, well, let's talk more. Some of them said, send us samples. Some of them said, come and show us the line. And then I would drive. I would go to school in the morning and then I would work all afternoon and all evening. And every weekend I would drive to, you know, three, four hour driving trips and stay there and do trunk shows in the local dance schools or stores and then drive back and do homework in the airports or in between meetings. And that's how I started. Very, very small, <laughs> one by one. So now I know what it's like to sell. I know what it's like to fit. I know what it's like to package the box. But now over the years, of course, I have a whole team of 17 team members who do the sales, who do the marketing, and we have much more strategic approach now. We sell through over 600 stores um, worldwide. Uh, we have successful e-commerce platform. We have tens of thousands of SKU products, and we outfit dancers in every type of dance, dance, ballet, modern, jazz, lyrical, contemporary, in leotards, shoes, tights, bags, accessories, and so on. Now, do you design and manufacture all the yes, items? So we design um, and we manufacture all the items. Um, we now look for manufacture for each specific product. Where's the best manufacturing? Some, some of it comes from Asia, some from Latin America, some from Europe. Uh, but we design all the products internally with my team and... Um, we have a great uh, network of dancers who test our products and then uh, things get made and shipped here. And um, we uh, work with uh, out of two distribution centers, one in uh, Chicago for America and one in Netherlands for Europe. And now we're in the process of opening another one in the uh, United Kingdom uh, due to Brexit. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah, that's changed yeah. a lot of international businesses. Yeah. For listeners that don't know, a lot of U.S. companies would have a distribution hub in the U.K., and then they'd go to the mainland. You, you did it through the Netherlands, but now you can't distribute in the U.K., yeah. so you've got to have an office in two places. So that's, that's 
causing a lot of challenges. Okay. So take me through that journey where you've got, so you were immediately a global business from the start. And that's what I've been telling companies now is think global from the start, because if you don't, when you go to expand, you'll have problems. And you started with importing from Russia and selling into the United States. What was the impetus or how did you branch into another country? Like, what was the first thing? Did you go manufacturing? Where, talk to me about your global expansion. The global expansion for us happened on uh, multiple levels. So number one is selling to countries outside of America. So Canada became our closest uh, partner. And at that time, I lived in Ann Arbor, Michigan. So even driving to Canada was literally 30 minutes. I was in Canada in Windsor and then Toronto <laughs> and Montreal. And so there was a great interest from the Canadian uh, dance market. So that became our first partner. Now we work with countries from Australia to Japan, Korea, Latin America, and of course, Europe. So as we continued growing and expanding, Europe became a bigger market for us. So three, four years ago, we made a strategic decision to open the distribution center there to um, make the products accessible faster and um, you know, less expensive for customers. Um, so we opened that distribution center. And so this is how we expanded globally from the selling standpoint. At the same time... Wait, so hang on. So selling, so you went from here, you went to Canada. And then yeah. did you pick a country or did you start getting inquiries? Or what was the next... I mean, Canada makes sense because Detroit to Windsor is so... It's like going to another state. It's so close. So that makes sense to me. But then you pick another country. Where did you decide to go or how did that happen? So it happened more organic where the customers started coming to us. And uh, at that time, we weren't even thinking about international expansion um, because we're so busy with the American market. And again, American market is such a big market for us. And it's easier to work here because at least uh, you know, the shipping and the taxes all similar. Um, but European customers started coming to us from England, from Italy, from Germany, from France, Belgium. And um, so we started. How did uh, they hear about you? So at that time, uh, again, there was internet was in its infancy. We did build a website as soon as internet became available, but mm. dance magazines. Um, so oh. dance magazine was a big source. So uh, advertising articles, trade shows when we did not travel to trade shows up until about seven years ago, but now we go to trade shows in Europe. Um, and, um, you know, dance world is so small. So people really learn and kind of seek each other out. So I think for your listeners, um, think about glo being a global brand from very beginning when you're mm -hmm. choosing the name for the brand. Make sure mm -hmm. that it sounds good and positive on all languages and it's easy to pronounce, easy to spell out. Uh, think about um, kind of brand positioning from the brand image, from the colors you use. There's certain college uh, countries where certain colors have a very strong association to 
you know, that in, in our culture would not, right? So, you know, do that research when you- Is there a color between the U.S. and Russia that you'd have to be careful of? Not really. Oh. Russia and America have very similar tastes with color, but, you know, in some countries, white is associated with death, right? right. The mm -hmm. yellow is the separation. So, again, as you're choosing maybe packaging or the colors, think about this. Did you and run now, into any problems with colors or packaging or name or it, in some of these things? So we chose royal purple as uh, our signature color. And we uh -huh. went through that. It didn't happen in the first year. It happened probably a decade later. We chose purple because it's a color that's attractive for all ages. It's a color that's attractive for all genders as well. So pink is often associated with ballet, right? But usually by age eight or 10, the girls don't want to do pink. They want to be like adult girls. And um, so that's why we stepped away from the pink packaging. And we have this distinctive, beautiful RP purple color that just glows from far away uh, when you see this. And it worked out great for us. Okay. So, no, so, you, so you know the issues, but you happen to pick a good name, happen to pick a good color. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So what would, um, so go ahead. You were talking about name and then brand image and colors. And what other recommendations did you have there? I didn't want to. Well, packaging, because okay. packaging might need to be adjusted um, with, uh, you know, even the labels that you put on and the sizing. Um, models that you will use for, to be photographed. Again, America mm -hmm. is a very international country, um, and that's one of the many things I love about it. It's very diverse, ethnically, culturally, religiously. It's, uh, so, um, you know, for the brands that maybe come from the countries that is, uh, do not have as much diversity, as you think about your brand image moving forward to other countries, make sure that the models, um, and, you know, connect and resonate with the audience and with your target market. So for your models, do you get the diversity that f works in other countries from models in the United States? So or do you do pictures in country? So we also have brand ambassadors that we select for America and for Europe. So of course we look for diversity um, because we want all dance, all youth, uh, children enjoy dance and feel like they can connect to the models. And um, that also uh, is reflected in our products. So we have a um, beautiful collection of ethnic color ballet slippers, point shoes, oh. tights, and accessories. And this is one of our key success factors is because we have, you know, slippers in five shades uh, and tights, I believe also in five shades. So it just the girls uh, can, and boys can find the color that matches the best their skin. Oh my gosh, that's so fantastic. I love that. Okay, so you're thinking about it from the products up. And then, then sometimes if I look at um, Latinos from the United States or women from Japan or, or, you know, Japanese women that they've grown up in the United States and they're American. Sometimes I can look at them and pick out, oh, they're American, not native, um, you know, Mexican or Guatemalan or Japanese or something. So I was kind of curious, but it sounds like you have people in market that you'd use for your models. Yes. Yeah. It makes photo shoots more exciting too. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> that you have to go on every one of them, right? <laughs> Absolutely. I just did a photo shoot here in Florida where I am right now for the FLX stretch training. And um, again, it's so great to be out here in the ocean and work with local models. And we use models who are now, um, you know, almost in their late 50s, 60s because of, again, diversity we're looking for. Oh, that's great. Okay, so we talked about Russian Point, and then a couple years ago, you bought FLX Stretch Training. So tell us about that company. This is a company that really excites me, and I am um, very optimistic about uh, opportunity because um, especially last year, the people realized the importance of health, fitness, and wellness home fitness is on the rise, but I'm confident that people now who got in the mode of working out at home and outside will continue doing this as the world opens up. So in FLX stretch training, we offer products and instructor certifications for safe and effective stretching, strengthening, and recovery. We have over a dozen products now. We have a lot more on the way that, um, offer people more effective opportunity to stretch and recover. Um, in addition to that, we have instructor certification in FLX stretch training methodology, which is approved by ACE, American Council of Exercise, which is the largest nonprofit um, accreditation certification um, in the fitness industry. Oh, wow. Fantastic. And now is FLX international? Yes, it is international. We just shipped our first order to Singapore. We are supplying to all over Europe. Um, we just had a meeting about new client in um, Poland. And of course, all over America, Latin America, even Australia. So it's very, very exciting. And people realize the importance of stretching as part of their fitness routine. And we dancers stretch as our second nature because that's part of our exercise, but many people don't. But um, whether you're a weekend warrior, whether it's, um, you know, it's uh, you're recovering after the surgery or just want to have better mobility and alignment, stretching is so important. Oh, it absolutely is. And, and I have been bad. I've been doing more running and biking and not stretching. So you're motivating me. <laughs> Good. Maybe that will inspire you to stretch more. Yes. I'm very tight. I will have to get back to that because I do, I do yoga and I like it. But I just haven't done it since the weather started getting better. So FLX was already global before you bought it, it sounds like. It was. And ironically, I met the founder at the trade show in Florence as uh, she was trying to bring the product more to Europe. And we met at the trade show. At that point, she had only one product, uh, Flexi Stretcher. And I interviewed her for my podcast. <laughs> and um, then a couple of weeks later, we talked again. And next thing I know, a few months later, I bought the company. And my vision for this company was to expand number of products and to take it beyond dance market. Because again, in dance, we stretch as a second nature, but I knew everybody can benefit from it beyond dance market. Okay, so as we're talking, I'm just blown away by your energy, your natural strategic thinking, the way you've implemented, the relationships that you've built. But you must have had some, some challenges or problems or issues while you were trying to go global with your companies. What, uh, what were some of the biggest challenges you faced? Some of the biggest challenges of going globally is, um, well, figuring out logistics, 
right? Um, some markets don't have as easy and affordable deliveries like we have uh, with the FedEx, UPS, and US Mail. So which countries um, did you find that in? Well, even in Europe. So we're using there a lot more DHL because that's easier, more effective and affordable way to do it. Um, going international, um, you know, everything that has to do with the taxes, compliance, you know, in Europe, they have VAT. VAT is different in each country. Um, and um, there's a different protocol of you prepay VAT and then you collect it back when you sell it to companies that are wholesalers. So, which is very different from America, where in America we sell wholesale without collecting taxes. And then that company collects the taxes, which is a sales tax. In Europe, as an importer, you pay import duty, then you prepay VAT, and then you submit monthly or quarterly and you collect the VAT back. Alternatively, there is one country in Europe that has um, uh, what's called a VAT deferment license, and that country is Netherlands. So VAT deferment license, I think it's a one-time fee of $600, allows you not to prepay VAT. That's what it's called, VAT deferment license. So you defer it to the wholesaler. And that tremendously helps with the cash flow because VAT is you know, 20% on average for each country. That's really hard on the manufacturers then because you've got the inventory costs, the VAT. Import duty. Import duty. And it really hurts the cash flow because now you're putting additional 20% of the cost on, of the cash flow by prepaying VAT. And then you have all this additional paperwork you need to do to collect the VAT back and then wait for that money to come back. And so that's a huge burden on the manufacturers. So Netherlands is the only country in Europe that allows this VAT deferment program, which tremendously helped us. So just paperwork, things like this really can sink the ship and make it very complicated. So do the homework, study, research, choose who will be a good partner for you, whether you work with a 3PL company or distributor, right? Who is going to give you- What's a 3PL company? Third-party logistics. Sometimes they call this an order fulfillment company. Yeah, so different rates, different fees, um, who is centrally located, right? My warehouse in in America located in Chicago. It gives us the most favorable ground transportation fees and delivery time nationwide. So think about the same, whether it's Europe or Australia or Asia, wherever you choose to be, right? Because customers want to receive it fastest, but they also don't want to pay extra if I'm shipping from Miami warehouse to Seattle, that's going to be seven or eight days ground or it's going to be very expensive by air. So things like this, you need to think through. Okay. That's fascinating. So if I were a manufacturer and listening to this, that would put up a big wall that I'd go, ooh, I don't know if I want to deal with that. So what recommendations would you have for somebody that wants to sell into Europe? Into Europe, do the homework. Now with the Brexit, there's a lot of learning to do. So we're doing it right now. And that's why we're realizing it's going to be, um, it's going to be unaccessible, unaffordable for us to ship from Europe, once we pay the import duty once, 
into United Kingdom right. because we have to pay import duty the second time. So we're opening a warehouse there. So do your homework. Um, if you're already working with maybe um, FedEx or DHL or UPS in America, they often have their own warehouses too, or they have the 3PL facilities that they can help you with. Um, uh, find a good accountant um, and a good attorney. And um, good accountants and attorneys, they have a network and they belong to this international association. So if they have a client here in America who wants to access Europe, they will partner up you with somebody who already trust that maybe part of their professional association that will make sure you complied and they will do the filings for you. Okay, so you have your in-country accountant monitor all your VAT and your uh, import duties. So that's yes. who's taking care of it. Yes. Okay, so you don't have one company then that can do all of them? No, we have one company that's for the entire European Union. Okay. And then we'll be working on a United Kingdom as well. Another option is to find a partner or distributor. So if you find a trusted distributor who will represent your brand on a specific market, that's another way to go. Okay. So then the distributor takes care of all that. So that's why the distributor model is so popular for people entering the markets because they can handle it. Yes. Yeah. And usually those distributors, they have relationships already with their target market. They have their um, distribution channel in place. Uh, they have their you know, documents, marketing team, sales team. Uh, so it can help to go to market faster. Right, right. Exactly. So how about language issues? I mean, you're, you're, you speak Russian and English. Do you speak any other languages? I speak enough Italian to get through the trade show and order food and good gelato. Uh, <laughs> but uh, likely English uh, is widely spoken, but um, we always hire translators um, at the trade shows um, to make it easier for our customers to speak with us in um, trade shows, whether it's in um, Italy or in France or other places. So yes, okay. So translate things. So you'd have an interpreter right at your booth. So if anybody came up to you, they yeah. could help facilitate. Oh, that's fantastic. Mm -hmm. um, that's a really and so you understand because you are fully bilingual that how important that can be. Yeah, yes. and the rest of the world does not speak English um, as a first language, right? So we, we want to do business in that country. We need to make it easier for our customers to come and do business with us. Right. And now what about your packaging and your website and all the materials that we were talking about before? So packaging uh, is the same. Um, labeling is on English. We translate marketing material and the price sheets for the local markets when we go to trade shows. Website, we're in the process of uh, building our European website with multiple languages. So again, technology is a very big, important part of any brand's success now. And um, um, there's more platforms so that offer multiple languages or website where you can choose the country that you'll shop in, in their local currency yes. um, and in compliance with the VAT and then also which warehouse it gets shipped from. So right. finding technology partners, that's so important now. Okay. So it's the technology of the building of the website that's going to identify where you're, where you're coming in from. So you're seeing something that's very localized to you. Yeah. And do you think it'll change a lot 
how people are shopping, um, whether they're still going to, you know, whether they'll come direct to you or they'll go through some of the wholesalers or companies that you're set up. I think uh, the beauty of building a strong brand and having a good relationship with our distributors or clients and having set standard prices so there is no price war online gives uh, us an opportunity to service customers on multiple levels. So whether they buy directly from our website or they buy our products on Amazon or they buy it from one of our distributors website or in uh, retail stores, we want customers to have both FLX stretch products or Russian point products. Okay, so you're just making it across accessible to all, same price, but you haven't seen any change on where the orders are coming in. I've been curious as to whether um, people are going to start buying more online consistently because of the shutdown that we've been going through. Yeah. So I think some products they can, and then there's other products. Um, one of the things most specifically with both Russian Point and FLX is people need education and they need uh, kind of the personal fit. So we're putting a lot of videos and training materials for FLX stretch uh, training program online. But when it comes to point shoes, when it comes to jazz shoes, a lot of it needs to be fitted by professionals in person. That's why we we are working very hard to support small businesses. Our, you know, over 600 retail stores who sell our products to make sure that they'll survive. They have our support. We send the customers to them even, you know, from our website. So we help them in every way possible. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I played ice hockey for a little while and I would have never bought ice skates over online. I had to go in and get them fitted and they heat treat them to your foot. So yep, I have yeah. figure, skating, figure skates. They did the same thing. <laughs> heat treat it and walk around for 20 minutes. Yes, I remember that. <laughs> right, right. Okay, so you were talking about the technology to guide people to the right website so it's localized enough in the currency and where they're shopping from in the right warehouse. What about the language? How are you doing the translation? Yeah, and so that's one of the things we, it's our task for this year is whether our IT team is to have multiple languages available on the website. We haven't tackled it yet because we only upgraded our American website to new ERP system through Acumatica and website through Magenta. So it was a big task of last year. And so now this year we're doing the same thing with Europe. Okay. Okay. So that's why you were talking about you had the marketing materials and the price stuff translated before, but that's, that's still on the plate to do is <laughs> to get that done. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm so glad that you understand the localization and how important it is to get people into the right place with the right um, yeah. What other, um, we, were, we had talked about some of the challenges. Were there any other challenges or things that you wish you knew when you were starting out in global business? I think now looking back is I did the best I could. And, mm -hmm. um, Which was pretty dang good <laughs> from what I'm hearing. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I mean, I would never question it, but as an entrepreneur, I'm probably, you, pro I mean, I know I go through the questions all the time. Uh huh. I wish I should have, would have, could have, but yeah. yeah. Thank you. So 
Now, if we lessons learned from the past of uh, going globally with Russian Point, um, what we are doing differently at Avalax, we are much more strategic with our partners. We have now bigger buying volumes, so we are able to have more leverage with our manufacturers. Uh, We, I have very clear vision for what I want that business to be. So I can backtrack and say, okay, what do we need to do from the product standpoint, from the quality, from the marketing message, from the team, from the social media, from the photographs we're taking. So we're able to, um, you know, have much shorter time on designing and manufacturing products and making sure that we make them, we test the market, we get the feedback quicker so we can really make sure that the products is what will be in demand. Having the team that's engaged, team that is passionate about what we do. You know, uh, that's why it's so important to have the compelling vision for the business and and the mission statement because that's what gets people excited beyond the paycheck, beyond the bonus, because people want to be a part of something greater. And it's our job as leaders is to create that compelling vision and mission statement of the organization, make sure that we have the right people at the right uh, positions in the job, set very clear goals, deadlines, and set priorities. Um, so all of these things, um, just the more we do, the, we increase the chances of success, both domestically and globally. Right. So you really didn't have other jobs to learn on the job training on how to do this. You've built a company and you know all these good things. How did you develop yourself to, to know about the engaged team and vision and mission and set up all the processes and accomplish what you've done? So, very good question, Wendy, because the only job I had was in high school, I worked in the retail store. So I really was never a part of the strategic team or innovation team or even the business meeting. I never sat in a boardroom or had on the job training or HR department or reviews. I just didn't know what it is. So a lot of it in business is common sense. And a lot of it is treat the people the way you want to be treated. Talk to the customers in the language that you would want to be talked to and explain in the way if you were in their shoes. I designed the products that I would want to buy. I host events that I would want to attend. I create the environment in the office, whether from beautiful purple walls to gorgeous photographs to the, you know, healthy snacks and the coffee machine that I would want to have. Um, I attended um, a three-year program at Harvard Business School for executives, and that helped me tremendously also to realize the difference of working on the business instead of in the business. And um, I'm a member of numerous business organizations um, from Harvard Alumni Association to many other, you know, Economic Club of Chicago and many others. And I have a great network of other entrepreneurs that I can reach out and ask questions. You know, having a mentor and having a coach helps a lot too. Um, you know, probably one of the things that I wish I had differently is to have a mentor or coach early in the years, because in the beginning, I didn't know what I was building and how I was going to get there. Um, but, you know, when the student is ready, the teacher appears. So I believe everything in life happens at the right time. 
Oh my gosh. Positive, energetic, born ready. You're such an inspiration. I, I love hearing this. So how about um, a, a memorable cross-cultural experience that you've had? And you already are a global citizen, but you've been to all places in the world. So it might have even been when you first came into the United States. So, uh, yeah, something that you just didn't anticipate or was yeah. different. Thank you. Well, I traveled to 49 countries and I was very much looking forward to what will be my very special 50th country to go to. And then the COVID happened. So I'm still waiting for that country. <laughs> what will it be? Well, um, the list is still long, right? We're the over 150 countries in the world. So I'm looking forward definitely uh, New Zealand and uh, Norway and Africa. And I would love to go to some of the countries um, of the former Soviet Union and Tajikistan and Georgia and uh, you know, Armenia. Um, so the world is so big and I love hiking and cycling and kayaking. So I can't wait to put my backpack <laughs> in one of those places. Uh, so the cr cross-cultural experience, um, you know, I uh, had an opportunity. I'm, I was, I'm appointed by um, Mayor Richard Daly, the former mayor of Chicago to chair Moscow committee for the Chicago sister cities. And as a result of it, we had numerous um, delegations come from Russia, from Moscow, Mo mainly to Chicago to learn about 911 center, to learn about city operations, about police department, to see how they can improve their cities. And I had the privilege to host these delegations in Chicago. I also hosted the Russian ambassador here. I worked on the NATO in 2012 in Chicago. Um, and then I was a part of the delegations that we traveled to Russia from America. So when the Chicago Symphony Orchestra after more than 25 years not traveling to Russia, went to Moscow, we put together a delegation traveled with them. And that was quite a remarkable experience. Your first time back in 25 years? No, it was Chicago Symphony Orchestra. Going oh, back their to Russia. first time. Okay. And I went with them and yeah. with a delegation of the city officials and the business leaders uh, travel as well. And that was in 2012. So things like this are really just fascinating to me. Oh, that's so fantastic. That's so neat to hear what you've done and then be able to be sister city with, you know, with Moscow and Chicago and, and intertwine that. So that's, that's quite an experience. That's lovely. Has there been a, um, a country that you felt like you went to that you just didn't understand the culture or something embarrassing happened or something funny? I think uh, I traveled to quite a few exotic countries like Bhutan ah. and um, I traveled to Japan. I um, you know, traveled to Estonia. I think going there with the open mind and uh, with welcoming the education um, and experience um, is the best way to go. So there's some countries that I would want to go back tomorrow and go back many times. Like again, Bhutan and Italy and Portugal and uh, Chile and Argentina. Um, and there's probably some countries like North Korea, oh, sorry, not North Korea, South Korea, I probably could skip. Um, but there's always something new to learn. And there's um, it, all experiences enhance us and teach us. 
Yes, yes, that's exactly it. I've had people on here before that are in global uh, marketing and business and they had never traveled outside the US on their first time. And so the, just the things they think about in their mind, but you from early on had that bicultural experience. So uh, that's, that's exactly what it is. Be open to the experience that can make you successful international. Yeah. So how about your favorite foreign word? Foreign, uh, foreign word. Besides English? Well, I leave it open. <laughs> it can be Russian, it can be English, it can be, uh, you know, Japanese, <laughs> Italian. Yes. So I would say thank you, spasiba, grazie. I think it's important to say thank you in every language. So that's one of the few words I always learn when I travel. Oh, that's fantastic. I love that. That's a, a real word of gratitude, which will make traveling easier with you when you're in there. Yeah. So what other, what are some final words of advice that you might have for um, two people, people who are interested in doing global business or dancers? <laughs> people who are interested in doing global business or any business. Follow your dreams and passion. Do your homework on a mega trends. If you go try, uh, doing business internationally on a local market, and do do not let the obstacles stop you. Because if you're following the trend of the uh, growth market, and this is what you passionately believe and want to do, you'll figure out how to overcome those obstacles. And for dancers. Follow your dream and love for the dance, but also look at other career um, opportunities and learn additional skills, whether it's marketing, accounting, uh, physical therapy, make yourself well-rounded, make yourself marketable so you can find the career options and a path that is beyond dance only. That is so interesting to me. I would not have expected you to go there with dance. Um, because as an entrepreneur, you, you, you know, do your research and go any obstacle, you can do it. But with dance, you're really saying be a well-rounded person. So it opens the, up the opportunities. And, 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 and so there's more, not just go for it, you can do it. And you can do it, build a great career as a dance, uh, dancer. But if, when you become a teacher and a studio owner, you need to have business skills because... As a studio owner, you have accounting, you have marketing, you have customer experience, you have to negotiate lease. You need to know the business part of this, not just be a great teacher. Maybe you no longer want to be in the dance world, but if you have a Pilates certification or physical therapy certification, you can build on your dance career and be a great physical therapist or Pilates instructor which is additional skills. So you have options. I think part of being free is having options and being in control of your destiny as an entrepreneur, as a dancer, as a woman, as an immigrant. And that's what gives us the freedom to be in charge of our own destiny and to create and shape the life by design that makes us fulfilled, happy, and secure on multiple levels. 
I am so glad I asked for clarification because when you first said it, I was reading global business, you can go for it, you can do it, the world is yours. And the dance I heard as there's a possibility you won't succeed, so you better have something to fall back on. But that wasn't what you were saying at all. It was saying that dance is on only one component of it. Make sure you fill all these other components because there's going to come a time when incorporating that into your dance career will be to your benefit and you don't want to be a you know a, in the US we'd say a one pony show <laughs> you know just have Absolutely. one trick yeah or one trick pony I guess is what the saying is yes. <laughs> <laughs> or Easter is the only day it's safe to put all of your eggs in one basket <laughs> <laughs> yes yes okay that's good so are there Russian equivalents that don't directly translate to those well the putting the eggs in one basket is um, a, a good translation on Russian as well so yes oh is it really okay so that overlaps oh that's fantastic okay so if people are interested in your products or finding you where can they reach you so our websites are flxstretchtraining.com, russianpoint.com, and my personal website is alexandra.com. Oh, fantastic. So, um, so if you have any questions for her, certainly reach out. Um, I'm going to check into the FLX products right now. <laughs> so it motivates me to do the stretch. And I want to thank you so much for being here today. I've really, really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you so much, Wendy, for inviting me to speak on your podcast. Congratulations on your book publications. Oh, and you. I am wishing all of our listeners great success in pursuing their dreams, both domestically and internationally, and may the results overcome your biggest expectations. <laughs> Oh my gosh, you are just so fantastic. So listeners, definitely check her out and check out her business because she has come from her dorm room to growing a massive business that's global all over the place and very successful. Um, and she mentioned my book, so that did launch just recently. It's called The Language of Global Marketing. And you can get a couple of free chapters on my website, wendypease.com. And that's uh, P and Peter, E-A-S-E, -E, so wendypease.com, or you can buy the book on Amazon, so it is there. Love to have your feedback and testimonials on that, because there's another book in the works, and it's always good to know how to get better. So if you like this episode, give, give it a five-star rating, and we'll catch up with you next time. That's a wrap for this session. A big thanks to you for listening to the Global Marketing Show. Hope you had just as much fun as I did. New sessions launch weekly on all places you find podcasts, Apple, Spotify, Google Play, and of course on our website. If you know someone interested in this topic, please tell them about us. Au revoir for now.